the gorgeous Simpiwidana and Mkonto, and that's the choice of our guest presenter today. She's on the line for us in Cape Town, Tracy Going. You'll know Tracy, of course, as a former broadcaster, but she's also an author. She wrote a book called Brutal Legacy. We'll talk about that in a moment, and she's also a film producer and has been working on a film that lays gender-based violence, GBV, bare. The film is called That's What She Said, and we have her two uh, compadres, in arms, Natasha Sutherland and also Lissedi Job joining us in the studio a little later as her guests. Tracy, we'll start with you on the line. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Michelle. Good morning. Oh, that song is so beautiful. Sort of the haunting sound. It certainly is a haunting sound. And we like to ask our guests why they make the choice of songs that they do. Tell us a little bit about that particular track by Simpiwe Dana that you've uh, chosen. This is a song that Eddie chose as um, the music that's playing as everybody walked into the theatre before they watched the play Brutal Legacy that Lissetti directed. And, um, and then, of course, it played on the way out as well. And I think it just sort of set the tone. And it is, even though you don't have to even understand the words, it's just the music. I mean, I sit here and I sit chilled, you know. Um, it resonates. It's, it's, that, it's the echo of the music and almost as a the domestic violence and impact of it had echoes in your life. And as I listen to that song, that's what comes back to my mind. Tracy, let's let's take go back in time. I mean, the the book was Brutal Legacy. It became a play as well. Um, you, But you've been a broadcaster. And then, of course, there was this major shift in your life, which became very public. Talk to us about that. That was, it was a long time ago, but what happened was when Oscar Pistorius murdered um, Reba Stenkamp, um, and it made the headlines, and it took us as South Africans into the courtroom, and for the first time, everybody could see what happened in the courtroom. And as I saw the horror playing out there, and particularly the way the women were were denigrated in the courtroom and made to look foolish as um, as like the next door neighbour, um, the way they were just missed. And I, I, was, I was absolutely outraged by what I saw going on in the courtroom. And I thought, okay, now it's the time for me to write a book because I can write it from the point of view of a child who grew up in a home of domestic violence. And then I could, I could also write it from the point of view as a woman who'd been through the court system. So that was why I then sat down and wrote the book because I was actually outraged by what I saw. Tracy, can I ask you for a moment, are you on a headset? I'm not. Okay. I've got you on speaker. Okay, can audio? can we ask you to go off speaker because it's sounding a little unclear and murky. Okay, is better? Okay, now it's a little bit echoey. Let's just, just well, let's just continue for a little bit and if we need to take you off and re-get you back on the line, that's what we'll do. So okay, so go back to that time where you said, Okay, fine, this is what I want to write about and this is the story that I want to do. And the thing that like struck me at the time was a decision to turn away from a job that was public, it was amazing, you were a celebrity. There was so much going on, but you made this decision. And I just wondered if you could talk to us a little more about that. Actually, what happened was it was before I became a morning live um, anchor. Um, it was, I was, I was afterwards. Been, I'm getting my time. No, it was 
it was before, and um, I had been negotiating with the SABC at that time to become the main news anchor, the 8 o'clock news anchor, when the SABC had sort of 14 million viewers. It was a huge, you know, it was a flagship show. Yeah. And um, I'd been negotiating with them, and then suddenly all negotiations stopped, and I literally had no work for about two years. And then I got a call from the SABC to say they're starting a breakfast show. Will I come back? And I had my court case had just ended, and everything then went back on track. So that was that's the time frame. Ah, okay. You see, now I got that wrong. I, I, my time frame was, and, and I suppose that's my 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 reading into it, like what I was imagining I was reading into it, which is a very different thing. Tracy, you... Most people think that, um, and somehow I must have created that impression, but um, yeah, that is the way it works, yeah. So in the writing of Brutal Legacy, you had to be very brave. You had to talk about your own history, your own childhood, and more. What was the decision to put that in the public space? Well, it was, as I say, when Oscar murdered Reva, mm. and I just thought that, you know, I I had an obligation. I, you know, you, sometimes you wonder why, you know, you're in the media, you have some kind of a voice. Um, why was I given that story, really? Was, was it to tell? Um, and I understand the media, and I understand the implications of going public. But even still, today, I sort of often think, oh, my goodness, have I done the right thing? Because... <laughs> No, it's really is. It's, it's actually grueling at times. Um, and also because you never really forget, you know, you sort of, although my life is so beyond that, mm. you know, my life is not about violence. Um, I, I live a very ordinary life, very happy life. Um, but it does keep you in the past if you keep remembering. So that's the downside of it. Tracy, you have made this commitment to gender-based violence and to vocalizing it, verbalizing it, publicizing it, putting it into spaces where people may not have heard about it enough, which is an insane thought. Your journey in that space as it grows, talk to us about that. Well, uh, when I wrote the book, the book was about sort of telling my story because I wanted it to be, you know, to sort of, as I say, give insight into what happens. But then um, with a documentary, with the the three of us, Natasha, Lucidia, and myself, right from the start, we were determined that we wanted to make, first of all, we spoke of a movie, but then a movie would have been about me again. And that's not the point of the story. My story is the story of many others. Yeah. You know, um, so what we thought was if we did it in a documentary format, we could take a story outside of my own and then make it become anybody's story. It's interesting that, that, that you talk about making it anybody's story because earlier on we were talking to um, someone about shelters for women who had experienced gender-based violence. And the one thing we were talking about was this idea that there are always assumptions about who may experience gender-based violence. And in fact, that's probably one of the powerful um, recognitions that we have to, or, or, or narratives that we need to destroy as quickly as possible. It's to who, who can tell the story. Sorry, I missed yeah, that one. Part. Yeah, it's like who, yeah. who, who the story belongs to and how diverse it sits within the frame of, of many, many women. You know, that's the thing. The other thing that I often get asked is why I don't name the perpetrator. And the same thing, I'm so glad that I never named the perpetrator because because I wouldn't have been able to do all of this. You know, yeah. then would have become this vindictive thing. So it really, we really, and I think Natasha, who directed the documentary, she's coined sort of the phrase, our working phrase, is that my story is the wound from which we're working <laughs> as the three of us, you know. And, and that is what we have done. And that is what we 
will continue to do. And this is my contribution to GBV domestic violence. I'm not someone who can go out and work in shelters. I find it too tra- traumatizing sure. to work with, with broken women and men. Um, but, yeah, so this is my contribution. So let's get uh, your two guests into the studio. We have to go to a break. We're going to go to a break and we're going to play one of the choice songs and uh, get them into the studio. They are here at the SABC. 9.25, that's the choice of Tracy Going's guest. Yep, that's right. We're doing it slightly differently today. So Tracy Going is our guest, but she's chosen two guests who've joined us in the studio, and they've also chosen music as well. Natasha Sutherland and Lissardi Job are in the studio right now. Natasha, um, Kate Bush, Yeah. that takes you back a while. Well, you know, I am. Well, a, you know, I am an eighties baby. <laughs> <laughs> Must own my age. Oh, with strength and glory, yes, I say. Yes. it's a beautiful song. It is. It is. Um, I've always loved the song. I've loved the sort of driving factor of the song. Yeah, uh, a will to overcome. And in actual fact, um, when they spoke to Bush about the song, she said um, it's about swapping places with another person in an attempt to understand their perspective. And I thought that was very resonant with what yeah. we've been trying to do with the play and especially in the documentary, you know, we bring in the male panel um, and there's a part in the documentary, which I'm sure we'll get to discussing, yeah. where we talk about how do you find resolution when there's no resolution. There's no resolution um, to be had. Yeah, when, no, that when the person who's hurt you is, has not given you anything, how do you get out of that? And it's something that we discovered in the play. It was quite a powerful moment in the play. And then um, uh, we inserted it under the section of shame and blame in the documentary. I think is very valid to, to the topic. I'm going to hold on that concept of resolution because I think it's a very important one. And we can talk about it in a moment. But just for clarity... Tracy, I'm going to go back to you. We've got you back on the line. And um, if you could just talk to us, give us the overview of the documentary before we actually play a snippet of it. Okay, so uh, months and months and months of thought went into how do we tell another woman's story without just telling another woman's story? You know, we didn't want it to be another woman's story. Um, and the problem is we also realized, you know, as three three producers, we, we realized that we've become desensitized. And unless there's a particularly gruesome incident, only then do people sort of sit up and take notice. So how do we do this in a way that we tell a story, but we also make it accessible to a wider audience? And that's where Natasha came with the idea of using the play which Lissetti directed, and then um, bring in an audience of men to respond to a woman's story. And all of this is then intercut with um, sort of going back to where I grew up and using visuals from there. So it becomes a filmic representation. Um, so we hope this that, you know, we've, that there's something that resonates or someone within the documentary that resonates for everyone. So th- I, think, I think that really is it. Um, Natasha probably words it far better. Natasha, the title of the documentary, it's an interesting one. Yeah, that's what she said. I mean, obviously it's been bandied around. It's become an idiom for um, a lot of comedy shows and mockumentaries. But I think when um, we were working on the play and I was collaborating with Sadie and um, adapting Tracy's book um, into the play, uh, the court case stuck out a lot um, to me and uh, it seems to all boil down to um, that's what she said I mean the play is called that's what she said a social inquiry because we wanted to get people in to comment on that's what she said we were interested in in 
whether people believed a woman. And that was one of the questions we did ask our panelists is if a woman tells a story about abuse, you know, do you do you believe her? Because I, I think it's it's sort of starts there and not only with will people believe me but there's a degree of cognitive dissonance with dv and gbv when you actually start doubting yourself so it's gaslighting yeah Mm. totally so when you when you when you come forward and you say things and you get hit by a barrage of people saying no this is not true um i think that's where an enormous sense of courage um has to take place and i'm i'm hoping that the documentary and amongst all the many things that we try to put out are going to show a survivor story. And a survivor story is sitting in front of a jury asking people to believe in what I say and then again, once again with the documentary. And of course, who is brave enough to go and sit in front of the jury as well is always the question that gets asked as well. And, you know, if, as, a, as a woman to go in front. Let's listen to a clip of the documentary. When you hear a woman tell her story of abuse, do you instinctively believe her? Yeah. Yes. No. No. Why not? Because women lie. When I grow up, I'm going to be on TV. I'm going to write a book one day. And I'm never, ever going to get beaten up. So what happened? I was beaten up. I'm here to participate in creating a very important documentary. It's about men's reactions to the play based on the book Brutal Legacy. We're all here because we watched the play. How does that affect us in terms of our own relationship with our aggression, our relationship with our sexuality, um, with our relationship with ourselves as men. I've never fully like witnessed gender-based violence. I've only like heard stories. It beat my mother up so badly in front of me. My mother was the perpetrator of violence. To be a man, you learn from another man. Yeah. Women have been killed, gentlemen. And they've been killed by us. I'm hoping that we'll get a greater understanding of the solutions that they can bring to the table. Because it's time that men actually became part of the conversation in finding a way forward. Wow, you see, now I have not seen the documentary yet and I'm like, okay, I've got to go and see this right now before we even carry on with the conversation. Before I ask this question, because the idea is we look, we have a person, we have a book, we then go on to a play which is um, based on truth, but because it becomes a play, it becomes a form of fiction as well. Then it goes back to a documentary. So it takes um, it takes these threads of both fiction and non-fiction all the way across, which is not to say that it's not that it that it's not truth, but how you present it offers different ways to to engage with. Lisedi, you you were the director of the play and you've then obviously seen that process go from book, play, documentary. How does that play out for you? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think how, how it plays out for me, really it's about the incorporation of another voice, right? Mm. Um, Because from book to play, it's these women, right? Who are behind 
the 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 creative or you know Tracy writing the memoir, me directing the play, Natasha being the playwright. And yes, we're part of the documentary as this production company, the three of us, but there's a voice that now comes in and it's no longer just Whose voice is the now? masculine voice. So it's no longer just women being um, at the helm of this. It's men that get to engage with it. And through the engagement with a woman's story, they're also able to tell their own stories because that's what was so beautiful about the documentary is the level of vulnerability that they brought within the conversation that is their own story as well. I suppose this is a cheeky question, but do you have any passion for any one of those three forms? And and Tracy, I'll start with you. Do you have any passion for any one of those three forms more so than the other? Or do you feel like it is simply a journey, one step at a time? It has been one step at a time. Mm. Um, You know, the very first time Lucidi contacted me, we met up in Cape Town to discuss it. And right there and then she said, and we'd like to make a movie, a film. (laughs) So it has been part of it all around. And even when I wrote the book, you know, as I say, I wrote it as filmically as I could so that in the event we ever took it any further. So, no, I'm, I'm, um, I, I see my story in, in different ways all the time. I, um, I say it's, you know, we've made it everyone's story. But for me, of course, it always resonates. And now when you play that audio clip, True. I've only seen it with a visual. And for the first time, I heard it only. Mm. And I was profoundly affected by what you've just played. Um, so every time, and every time I watch the documentary, I see something else that I didn't notice in the play because I was too close to the story. So, um, I, no, I don't have, I cannot pick one over the other, although I suppose maybe my book is still my baby. <laughs> Tracy, <laughs> how did the three of you meet? Um, Lissetti contacted me. Oh, Lissetti can tell the story. <laughs> so I had, in 2018, I had just directed Natasha Sutherland and Pamela Nomvete mm. in Meet Me at Dawn at the market. And on my way, driving around Joburg the one day, I'm listening to a radio interview and I hear Tracy. And she's talking about her memoir. She's talking about Brutal Legacy. And something just said, I want to tell the story. Mm. And I called my mom. I was like, mom, please buy me this book. And I think I want to turn it into a play. That night, because Meet Me at Dawn was still on at the market, I watched the show and then I went to Natasha and I said, Tash, I would love to work with you again. And I don't know why. I don't know where we're going with this, but I would like to bring you on board. Maybe you write the play um, and... Who knows what happens after this? Natasha and I had conversations and, you know, she spoke about there's a possibility of making a film or something around it afterwards. And I said, absolutely, I'll make the play. I then left because I was traveling at the time. Mm. And I think Tash got in in contact with, um, with Tracy's publisher. I then came back and set up a meeting with Tracy. And that's how we're here in 2023. How many years is that? That is... From 2018. It's, That's five years. <laughs> We're yes, a little yes. family. COVID, COVID scuppered everything, but um, that we are, you know. You know, there. it's funny, people, we always go COVID scuppered everything, but sometimes I think maybe it just gave us a little bit of space to breathe and really consider what we are, you know, what we're looking at and where we're going with that. Did you feel that at all, Natasha? Yeah, because, you know, we did. Uh, we did the play before COVID hit. Yeah. Um, 
And then Tracy was talking about um, pitch direction for the documentary. And I think COVID gave us a, a, a bit of a gestation period to really um, hammer that out and find uh, the best way to move forward with what we thought it would be. And I, th I think it's a, a reasonably brave, quite fresh take on the subject matter, yeah. as well as really... Um, weaving this beautiful storytelling thread. I mean, I grew up as a storyteller. You were saying what mm. me what medium is better. And for me, making this documentary has proven to me that they're all interlinked. You know, a book became a play, became a documentary. And Tracy's story, um, she's so courageous because her story, and when I say the word generic, I am I know it feels like I'm trivializing uh, mm. GBV, but her story has become sort of a generic story of a woman of yeah. a woman's tale and then even within that as Lissetti mentioned the male panel we had quite involuntarily in their um, uh, facilitated interviews started sharing their own stories in different in different shades regarding the, the subject matter so the whole process has really made me feel totally um, respectful and in awe of the power of storytelling. You know as you were talking a little bit earlier I was just thinking about this idea of the power of creativity and how we can use creativity in so many different um, vehicles, if one wants to put it as such. It could be a book, it could be a poem, it could be 150 different things to tell the story. But in the doing of that creativity, very different things come out. And I'd love to hear from all three of you. Um, and Tracy, maybe we can start with you, is what you feel if you had to tease apart those three um, spaces that you've worked in, and there's going to be a fourth now as well in terms of how you play out the documentary in the live space. So what do you think shifts and changes each time you take a different vehicle to tell the story? I don't know. You see, I can't respond. You know, we try and be objective in life, <laughs> and somehow I'm always subjective to everything. And um, and I'm I'm so empowered, and I'm so healed, and my life is so different. And yet, every time I see or hear, or you've just played that link, I, I'm I'm become quite sort of triggered and quite emotional. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm never able to sort of step back and answer a question like that well. You know, I'm just too involved in the story somehow. This I can't not an exam. step out of sight of it. It's <laughs> not an exam. You can <laughs> rather ask Natasha and Lissidi that question because I find it so difficult to answer. Well, we'll give you a little bit of time to think about it. We have to go to a break. We'll go um, to the break. When we come back, we'll chat to Lissidi and Natasha. And then let's come back to you. And perhaps uh, you can just uh, pick out something that you feel for you. Um, shifted as you moved across per genre or per form. So we've got uh, Tracy going. She's our guest presenter. She is our guest presenter, but it's like we've got three musketeers, the three marvelous musketeers here, actually as part of the uh, narrative or the story that we are telling today. So we have Tracy going on the line from Cape Town. We've got the uh, director uh, or writer, and actress Natasha Sutherland. I mean, Natasha, I recall you being in musicals and um, I'm trying to think. Dance, ballet, musicals. Um, Le oh. little bit, a little bit when I was, when I was you were younger. Like a, My dad was a musical theatre yes. director. I think I tried, but I well, probably was too clumsy. No, I don't <laughs> think that's the case at all. Um, We've also got Lissedi here, Lissedi Job, who is the... 
uh, director of the play, but has also been working with the documentary as well. And the question that we've asked uh, the three ladies in the studio and online is the idea of how you can use a different vehicle to tell a story. But in the using of a different vehicle, is it a book, is it a play, is it a documentary? It could become a film at a later stage. It could become a podcast. It could become a live event where you have people talking to each other on platforms. Once you start to shift and change, the, 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 the core narrative remains the same, but certain things start to change. Lissedi, I'll go to you. Um, I think... My perspective comes from being an artist Mm. and anything that is an art form or storytelling is not solely about self, but it's deeply rooted as well within society and whatever is happening within the universe and what people are feeling and thinking. Um, So when we spoke earlier on about how we had COVID, that might have been the blessing and the curse. I think in 2019, when I know for self had directed the play and was in conversation with Tracy and Natasha, there was there was a wound and a hurt and an anger and a lot of difficult emotions around gender based violence during COVID. That's when a lot of the issues started Mm -hmm. to come up around women who were being beaten. Um, And then the the president declaring GBV a second pandemic. Mm. We had created the play in 2019. We didn't get an audience. People were uncomfortable. They were unsettled. We even felt like we had offended someone in society. And without us having to do anything, something shifted. And then we were able to engage in the conversation again. And this time, figure out where where do we take it now moving forward? How does this documentary speak to a greater audience in a different way from that of the play. Mm. Um, Yeah, and I think that's where then in the incorporation of the male voice or men as a part of the conversation, how do we incorporate them in? What does that now look like? And I think that's what shifts in storytelling and creativity. Natasha, you, you... We, we, we were talking about resolution and men. Talk to us about that incorporation in the documentary. I mean, it's when you hear that snippet of the documentary, you do get a very strong sense of, wow, the angle has shifted quite dramatically. Well, I think maybe one needs to um, f- firstly talk about why include the male narrative, because <laughs> I know that a lot of people are saying, what place do they have? And I might be offending a lot of people by saying this, but... Um, I have this um, concept that healing requires all of us and Mm. any polarization means that something is allowing a divide and conquer to keep the status quo as it is. And as we know in the GBV-DV landscape, the status quo is horrendous. So having said that, um, even though we discussed, all of us discussed bringing the male narrative in, it it felt like quite an organic process, I think, from all of us. For me, I know... Um, I played old, older Tracy in the play. For a long time, I couldn't admit that I was the older Tracy. <laughs> because um, um, the Hard to believe. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. The, uh, the play, in essence, was about um, uh, an older, older Tracy and a younger Tracy having a conversation with self. Um, mm. And we did have, uh, you know, the male antagonists in terms of the DA and uh, the ex-boyfriend. Um, 
But I was playing the older Trace and I remember every time I would stand in the wings and would play that beautiful song and I'd be preparing to go on and you know obviously you listen to the audience chatter and I would hear there were men in the audience and I would always think I wonder how they are feeling watching a play about a woman's story where the antagonists are obviously men and they know they know the narrative that's out there may not consider to be perpetrated you know I, I just I just mm. wondered and I was c curious as to know whether um they bought into realizing it was a problem or whether it offended them and polarized them more. Um, and so that was, I suppose, a seed of the of the documentary. And my, I've also got sons and my son, my one son grew me up on watching things like Uncut and Jubilee, which are mm. YouTube, I don't know. And that's bringing in various different um, groups to talk about opposing polarized ideas. And I just yeah. thought that would be in essence. So I, I don't think I'm answering your question here, but in terms of... Um, resolution there is a resolution of a person who's been hurt and um, trying to heal w without any apology for the degradation and the suffering which I think is what we're facing on a mass scale and then there's also a resolution maybe of the docky I like to say is that the docky doesn't pose any answer we mm -hmm. never purport to say we know how to heal this all we're trying to say is <clears throat> it's a mess and it's a much more complicated multi-layered mess but if we could all just come together and first of all admit that it's a mess and then maybe yeah. start to unpack and dissect what can be done so tracy you've obviously listened to this we talk we've talked about the men that uh, are part of the documentary having watched the play for some of them what did you learn what 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 i mean i suppose the question is what did they learn that you then learned <laughs> Again, you know, I'm just sitting here and, and I'm going to answer sideways again um, because I listened to Natasha and Mercedes' answers, you know, all the way through this process, I've had to trust them. I've had to hand my story into the palm of their hands. Like yeah. I only saw the play the night before it opened. I didn't want to be involved and I also think Lucidi didn't want me involved because you don't want anyone coming to change, you know, your interpretation mm. of the book kind of thing. So all through this entire process, I only saw the documentary after the first full edit um, so I've trusted them because I cannot step outside I know that I cannot step outside of my own story because I am the content at the end of the day so mm. so I've really left it up to the two of them but um, so nothing has really shifted for me but person it's because my response is always personal so I shift in and out of um, have I done the right thing? Is this crazy? Like, what have you done? You know, and then at other times I feel so brave and courageous, you know, um, so it's this fluctuation. It's one extreme to the other. And the other night I said to my husband, I said, okay, two nights ago, I said to him, okay, darling, this is coming out now. How do you feel about it? Have I, are you embarrassed about it? Are, you know, is it okay? And again, he reassures me, he says, you've done the right thing. So, um, so I'm always going to answer you from that perspective. I somehow cannot step outside and just be an observer to the whole project. But um, I trust the process. I trust oh. what we've done. I think Natasha has made the most remarkable movie. And we're now putting it out into the public and we will get feedback and we will soon know if others agree or disagree. It's funny because, uh, as you say, this fluctuation of feelings, I immediately thought of that Shakespeare line, no midway twixt the two extremes at all. And I think that often that's the space one flies between when one's thinking of of challenging issues of this nature and of course that's from Julius Caesar but it's it's always been been a quote that I've thought well that's that's really 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 clear maybe we'll take maybe let's take it back to you Natasha and just say 
for those, what did you learn from what the documentary taught or, or what you heard from the men in the documentary? What did it, what came out for you? Um, well, firstly, as a, as a, as a documentary maker, it was um, quite a baptism of fire because <laughs> in a sense we um, had a play, a beautifully powerful play that mm. um, Lissetti put together and we were offering it up to a panel of unrelated men that we got in to respond. And w so I ha you know, one can and try and anticipate the things that they would say, but at the end of the day it was rather experimental. We just put, put them in a room and said, how do you feel about things? And the, the things I thought they would respond on, they didn't. <laughs> and then, what did you think they would respond to and what didn't they? I thought they were going to respond more on uh, Tracy's validity of a story. Mm. But it became very much a reflection of self, right, Sadie? Mm. And I think what um, we've tried to do in the documentary, I hope I've succeeded, is not necessarily make anything didactic. There is a problem. There is a huge issue. It is a scourge. It is something that needs to be sorted out. But listening to... Um, the men speak, and because obviously Tracy and Lissetti um, I interviewed for the documentary as well. Mm. We've got wonderful narratives on, on sort of topics surrounding GBV and DV, like uh, men are trash and um, those sorts of things. And everyone's got a different answer, mm. but um, which might cause a viewer to feel sort of that roller coaster, like Tracy was saying. Mm. But at the same time, I think it's, it's important um, that it's it's done that because people I think are combined in wanting it to be better even though they may have different viewpoints on certain things. It's 10 to 10 you're with SFM 104 to 107 we're going to go to a break and then we're going to play out with the last song which is Lissetti's choice song great song we've had Mandisi on the show Mandisi Diantes and when we come back what I'd like to find out from all of you is where you see this going because you have had explained some of the ideas with regards to the private sector and the possibility. And I suppose the question that I'd like to ask as well is how one, what the business model of this is, how one funds this and takes this forward, 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 because it's, it's not an easy thing to, to fund, but to also create a business model out of. So we'll do that right after the break. So beautiful, that one, Mandisi Diantias and India Kolwa. And uh, we have three unbelievably talented women in the studio it's um, a real honor to be chatting to all three we've got Lucetti Job we've got Natasha Sutherland and Tracy going and we're talking about the documentary that's what she said and that documentary will of course not of course it's going to be going further Tracy where do you see the documentary going oh yes um Ooh, we yes. would like it to go <laughs> we would far like it to go and far wide. <laughs> Far and wide. We really do. Um, you know, we're doing a lot of screenings now over the 16 days of activism and, mm. um, you know, corporates and companies are, are most welcome to approach Gravel Road Distribution Group who mm. are doing um, the distribution because we've been doing um, Q&As. I did a Q&A recently at a mine and they ran it for two and a half hours. That is the impact of, of getting people together to talk and especially men. Um, so we would like it to go far and wide. Yes, there is a distribution plan. Yes, we would roll like to roll out and you know attend international film festivals but actually for us the most important thing is that the conversation takes place here in our own country and continues so very briefly i'm going to ask you and then if you don't mind i'll close off on this side uh, purely uh, because of the technology of having them in the studio but tracy very briefly we did speak um, around the idea of um, 
how one funds something like this so that it keeps going. I mean, it's not an easy thing, and I'm sure there are many young people, and I've heard many young people say, I've got this great idea for a documentary. I'm waiting for the money. And that it doesn't work well, like that. <laughs> no, I, that was one of the most disappointing um, aspects of the whole thing for me because I executive produced it, which meant I had to, you know, find the money and make mm. it all happen. And um, we did approach every corporate that, um, you know, supposedly supports, you know, no violence against mm. women. And not one single company came out and gave us a cent. Anyway, eventually got some international funding. We got a private individual, um, a, a retired gentleman who put some money in and he kept saying to me, where are the women? Where are the women? Why are they not putting money in? Well, I approached every woman I could yeah. and they didn't. So it was that part was disappointing. And I think that we need to really, really, you know, think about that and, and, and yeah. work with that a little bit more, a lot more. Um, so funding was a very real issue. We were very, very lucky that the GBV fund also came in right at the end and gave us that last bit that we could actually finish the project. Yeah. But it is a challenge. I think it is the biggest challenge you know i thought oh three women all with a lived experience you know we yeah. all we've you know we've got the book brutal legacy we've got the play brutal legacy now it's a simple process to make a documentary um but it wasn't it wasn't an easy sell um but hopefully hmm. everyone will go and watch it and all is you know we've gone over that that mountain yeah. okay let's uh tracy i want to say thank you so much for opening up to this uh natasha we as as you can see we're very short on time but i would like to just get from you the um how people can see the documentary how they can you know we know it's going to be on mnet and on showmax but say they want to get hold of someone say they want to really try and find out more about uh, that's what she said how do they yeah do so here i am sitting <clears throat> having to quickly say i'm kindly asking or should i say belligerently challenging uh, corporations and businesses mm. to put their money where their mouth is when it comes to 16 days of activism and fund um, screenings that they can either do within their companies mm. or to actually um, uh, buy screenings, um, sponsor a screening at a cinema where we can bring in uh, groups of people mm. who we feel um, need to see this. And then Tracy Lissetti and I, if necessary, um, will be around to afterwards um, to be there for the Q&As. Mm. <clears throat> but we really need to try and get it out there. So we really yeah. are appealing to people and um, please if they could go to um, www.gravelroadsafrica.com to find out more information about private screenings and sponsoring. Okay. That's Gravel Road Africa and the gravel has a um, dash, I always forget what that's called, a gravel-roadafrica.com. Lissetti, we are out of time but I do want to ask you, this experience, this journey you've been on, tell us what it's meant for you. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> look, gosh. I, I've always said at heart, I'm a storyteller. Yeah. And um, I am always or oftentimes deeply affected by human suffering. And if there is an opportunity to engage with someone's story that might change another's life, then I am more than willing to be a part of it. Sometimes it's at a cost to self, but maybe that's the calling on one's life. I think that's a great way to end it. It's 10 o'clock. I want to say thank you to Tracy Going, to Lissedi, and to Natasha. Thank you all for joining us in the studio. We appreciate it enormously. It's 10 o'clock. It's time for the news. It's no longer good morning. It's now goodbye.